Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And Lord, I pray that for every person in this room that our thoughts, our cares, our worries, our concerns, our distractions would be put in the background for, for the next 30 or 40 minutes, Lord, as we concentrate on you and your word and our relationship with those things that are the most important that we can have. Let us put everything else aside to hear what you have to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start in 2 Timothy 4. A lot of you are familiar with this. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Uh, Many translations say they'll tickle your ears. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Now, I can't say with any high level of confidence that my message today will be what you want to hear, but I pray with all my heart that the words that God has has put on my heart this morning will be what you need to hear. So here we are at the end of January. Are we still saying Happy New Year to people? You catch yourself still, still doing that? Are you writing, writing 2021 on your checks by accident? Um, I, I love the beginning of the year. Fresh start. This is going to be the year. I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to read my entire Bible 15 times every single day of the year. All right? And, 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 and we try. I'm thinking back to two years ago. Remember how jazzed we were at the beginning of 2020? That just had such a a cool sound to it. The stars are aligned. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. I mean, it kind of took me back to that. And 60 days later, COVID hit. None of us saw it coming. It was just like getting hit in the back of the head with a two-by-four. We had to lock down, but it was only going to be three to six weeks to control the surge, and here we are, almost two years later, with no real end in sight, new variants, new varieties of variants, and most of the world has been hit pretty hard. Things are drastically different. That first year was incredibly difficult. 2021 seemed like piling on on top of a team that was already down 50 to nothing. I remember in high school, we, we went into the locker room at halftime behind 35 to nothing. And we got there and the door was locked and we couldn't get in. And we're sitting on the curb all beat up and just feeling so defeated. And this young kid on the team thought he'd fire us up and he yells, who's going to win? And we're all like, would you just shut up? <laughs> so so that, that, that kind of reminds me of, of the way a lot of us have felt. Able-bodied people got scared of the virus or grew used to free checks from the government, and a lot of the world checked out, wouldn't work, and, and still won't. And because of them, a lot of us are suffering. We have to stand in longer lines, even when we have the money and the inclination to eat out. 
or, or the ability to gather together for some kind of a small group celebration, most of the restaurants can't find enough workers to staff their restaurant, let alone catering a banquet. And, and you know, as I know, that every employer that every one of us knows is begging for workers even after raising wages considerably. In addition, some very strange, seemingly mysterious things are happening with a term we rarely use before, the supply chain. Huge barges lined up offshore with goods and supplies unable to make it inland to where we live. Truckers, more important than ever before. Sections of our stores with bare shelves. New car dealers with empty lots. It's like, if you have the money, you can't get a car. Now, I think that's starting to change a little bit, but the point is, is that we all see and hear that bizarre things are happening day by day. More and more businesses won't even accept cash. How weird is that? Now, those issues, as bothersome as they are, are, are really just issues that we, as selfish, pampered, spoiled Americans, are having to deal with as inconveniences. The problems run much, much deeper. We all know suicides, mental health issues have skyrocketed, divorce and depression are growing. We've had huge numbers of people become extremely ill, and not just with COVID. Many who have other things, big surgeries and other illnesses, have had to wait and wait and wait. And we've lost way too many lives to COVID and related illnesses. We're told this latest variant is quite mild in comparison to previous versions. We're told that vaccinations and masks are the best preventatives, yet our pastor's wife, Carly, is triple-vaxxed, stays home pretty much, and is very careful about her mask when she goes out, but she's ill at home with COVID today. She's feeling better, her fever is broken, but nonetheless, taking all the precautions, she's still got it. And we have several others who've tested positive this week. This weekend alone, counting this morning, I filled in for three different individuals who tested positive. And very sadly, our church family here at New Covenant lost another very good and godly man who went to be with the Lord Friday afternoon. David McNichol struggled mightily with COVID for quite some time. And by earthly standards, he lost the battle. But we trust that through his faith in Jesus, David totally won and is in the presence of the Lord. Please keep his wife, Natalie, and their children in your prayers. We've been on the phone with her, and she's doing very, very well. But she covets your prayers and your love. And she asked me to tell you, thank you. So, so here we are at the end of January, but this year is brand new. It's 2022. It's got to get better. Or does it? And that's the, the title of my little message this morning. It's got to get better. Or does it? And I'll give you a hint. That's a trick question. <laughs> we start in the book of Philippians, and we'll spend most of our time there today. Philippians 1, if you have your Bibles, please, uh, please follow along. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the residents of Macedonia in the town of Philippi, in part to let them know he was in jail again, as he had been, uh, right around the time they first met. Starting in verse 7, where Paul says, So it's right that I 
should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. It struck me as I've been reading the book of Philippians over and over this month that it sounds like a letter sent in a long-distance love affair between a man and a woman, doesn't it? He truly loves his church family, and, and we should do our best to mirror that attitude today. He sees the good in them, and he points out their wonderful qualities and praises them openly and honestly, and he bears his heart, shares his feelings for them with them. And what a beautiful example that is that we should each do our best to copy and exemplify to those we love inside our family here at New Covenant Church. Then he gets down to one of the main reasons for writing in verse 10. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. When it comes right down to it, what does really matter in this life? That's a question I think we should ask ourselves much more often because it turns out our answers don't always naturally line up with God's unless we truly know His heart. And the best way to know His heart is to know His Word. Paul devoted his life to helping us understand Scripture and what really matters to God. His goal was to help us live pure lives above and beyond the blame that comes so easily from this world. Paul loved Jesus with all his heart. He taught us all about the amazing fruits the Holy Spirit produced in his life and our lives too when we love Jesus. These fruits are the sweet results of the personal experience we go through as we change through our desire to become more like our Lord. They include love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what really matters in this life according to the one who created it. And Paul's joy was too great to be contained inside his own mind and body. He was compelled to share it with others, with everybody. In verse 12 we read, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, those who were keeping him locked up, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Scripture makes it perfectly clear. No one who is faithful to Jesus will escape this life without great trouble along the way. Paul was thrown in prison for the horrible crime of teaching about Jesus. And a situation like that could make many of us afraid and bitter. Paul allowed God 
to use those difficult circumstances to make him bolder and better. We need to examine our lives daily to make sure we're doing the same. And I get it, it's only natural to feel discouraged or defeated, but we can never give up. When one of us is down, those who are around must reach out in love, support, and encouragement to help them get back up. That's what family is all about. And regardless of what's currently happening, God always has a plan. We need to constantly remind ourselves exactly where we stand, protected and preserved by the Lord's mighty hand. And no matter what difficulties you're personally facing today, ask Jesus to show you the way. Use your negative circumstances to speak a positive message about God's love with boldness and confidence. Paul was doing it with his prison guards. Don't you think we might take a clue from that and be a little more courageous in doing it with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family and friends? Now in the next verse, Paul gives a good example of how he was dealing with some of the smaller negatives in his life. In verse 15, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others did not have pure motives if they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Paul did not allow himself to be sucked into needless battles of egos with other preachers and teachers, not by his circumstances in prison again, not by the ulterior motives of other believers who should have been supporting and encouraging him, but instead were trying to move in on his ministry territory. He was happy that Christ was being preached either way, and he didn't feel the need for any success to go to the credit of, of his account. He was satisfied that even those who were doing things for the wrong motives were still nonetheless spreading the word of Jesus. And, and he used the word rejoice twice in one breath. And by the way, you'll find the words rejoice or joy a dozen times in the four chapters of this short letter. Paul doesn't throw a pity party on our sympathy. He truly is filled with the joy of the Lord, and he encourages us to rejoice also. And the deliverance that he spoke of there is not his salvation, but his liberation from prison. And Paul believes that he will be freed at this point, released through the power of the prayer of the Philippians and the Holy Spirit. And Bible scholar William McDonald makes a special note of this. He says, Marvel here at the importance which Paul puts on the prayers of a feeble band of believers. He sees them as sufficiently powerful to thwart the purposes in the mighty power of the Roman government. It's true. Christians can influence the destiny of nations and change the course of history through prayer. End quote. I want us all to think about that for a minute. We forget our Christian ancestors have done this for over 2,000 years, but we seem to put that aside. 
Just a couple of quick examples, slavery, child labor, segregation, women's rights, sex trafficking, abortion, have all come to light in this dark world through Christian ministry. It's time to put that back into our top of mind awareness with the importance of the power of our prayers. 2,000 years ago, a group of Christians smaller than those in this room today, none rich or powerful or famous, set the stage to change our world and we are their spiritual offspring. We have a heritage to continue and uphold. Now, on a different subject, Paul was known to have a sharp tongue. We see it many times in other scriptures. He wasn't afraid to unload on those he felt betrayed him or didn't live up to his high expectations for true followers of Christ. But here, he's overcome with the joy of the Lord and chooses to treat those who are trying to hurt him with kindness and grace. And he allows their offense to go unanswered. He understands that no response is necessary. And this made me think of Proverbs eleven seventeen. Your own soul is nourished when you are kind, but you destroy yourself when you are cruel. You know, our human nature is only to care about ourselves and those we love, and most of the world focuses exclusively on their own interests. But before you argue with me, think back two years ago again, the selfish rush for toilet paper the moment COVID hit. Is that the craziest thing ever? But we see smaller examples of that basic attitude every day in our society. Think traffic, waiting lines, competing for a job, or making a bid on a house. Mankind's instinct seems to be only the strong survive, be fast to get whatever you need or you'll be left without. But scripture teaches us just the opposite and turns our natural way of thinking upside down. Feeding someone who is struggling with hunger actually provides spiritual nourishment for yourself. Jesus and his angels supernaturally see to it that your kindness to others is magnified in blessings back to you. That may or may not include worldly riches. Much more importantly, it actually strengthens your very soul. Now, on the other hand, cruelty to others, even those who deserve it in the eyes of the world, will eventually destroy us. Very few of us would ever think of ourselves as cruel, but as I thought about this, I decided I needed to take a deeper, more honest look, ignoring an obvious hurt or need of those who God places in your pathway, especially children, the elderly, the sick, the outcast, the lonely, can be just as cruel to them as outwardly expressing disdain or, or hostility. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, help me to carefully examine my heart. Show me the many opportunities to grant kindness and love to those outside my inner circle. Give me a desire to help others and prevent me from carelessly hurting anyone through my actions or lack of concern towards those with tender needs. And Jesus, help me to move on and not needlessly fight back or make sharp remarks to those who are trying to hurt me or my ministry efforts. Remind us that we only hurt ourselves and damage our relationships with you when we fall into that trap. Amen. In two places in the Gospels, in Mark 8 and Luke 9, 
Jesus is quoted saying, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in those adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I hope that phrase scares you as much as it does me. It's a healthy fear of the Lord. Back to Philippians where Paul addresses this very subject in verse 24. I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. And knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Friends, that is one of the main reasons God still has you with us through these last two years of fear and danger to help others grow and know and experience the joy of our Christian faith. Verse 26, and when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me and above all you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose fighting together for the faith which is the good news I know the last two years have been brutal to most of us. And this year doesn't seem to be off to such a great start either. So I see it as keeping everything in a proper biblical perspective. We do have enemies, both obvious and those hidden. But scripture reminds us our only true enemies are the unseen forces of evil sent out by Satan and ourselves, our sinful natures. With Jesus in our lives, we are assured eventual victory, so there is absolutely no reason to be afraid. Not of the economy, which seems to be very shaky. Not of the situation in the world, which is on the verge of war on several, several critically important fronts. Not of the virus and what it might do to us and our loved ones. In verse 28, Paul speaks to this. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. Paul says, you've seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Could it be any clearer? We will struggle with our relationships inside our family, at work, in the community, even here at church. There's a big divide on opinions on how to deal with things. And, and, and this, this situation with the virus ha has split people in, into too many different factions. 
we're going to struggle with the mental monsters of worry, fear, anxiety, and intimidation. We will struggle with our health. Every day we are older and our bodies begin to wear out and surely, but slowly, betray us. I feel pretty darn great today, but don't ask me about my health unless you've got 30 minutes of free time to listen to me go on and on about all my recent health issues. We will struggle with our appointment with death. Let's be realistic. Every single one of us has one already set by the Lord. Scripture reminds us no man knows how his days are numbered, that our life is brief and filled with trouble. But Scripture also reminds us that there are so many reasons to be filled with joy and the hopeful expectation of a new heaven and a new earth that are coming soon. Jesus said it, and I believe it. Don't you? A lot of this comes down to spiritually training our minds to have the right attitude. And here we move into chapter 2 of Philippians, in verse 5, where Paul writes, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You know, as believers, we too often casually say, we want to be more like Jesus. Paul's dark description there shows how much that truly requires. Are we willing to give up any of our cherished rights and privileges? Can we actually humble ourselves to serve as a slave to our Lord by serving those in his kingdom? Will we volunteer to uh, get our hands dirty, so to speak, to do the unpleasant things often required to help those most in need? Sharing the good news of the gospel carries a high price that we must be ready to pay each and every single day. Our true love for Jesus compels us to see past our current circumstances into the glorious future he promises to share with all who call him Lord and Savior. So back to my title message, my response, it's got to get better, or does it? My answer is no. We have little, if any, control over what gets better, or when, or if it ever will, in the big picture. But we have so much control of ourselves and our influence on others. You know, an example of what's going to go on, you've probably heard the last week or so, infectious disease experts are telling us this pandemic has turned into an endemic, which means this deadly virus and different variants and varieties of it are here to stay in one way or another. In some shape or form, they're expected to be part of our world from here on out. Now, there's nothing at all wrong with praying that science finds a way to negate the effects or to minimize them or comes up with vaccines that are much more effective than those we had to rush into production. But get used to living like this and other types of things that we're dealing with now from here on out. Now, please don't think I'm being negative or dark. I refuse to be a worrier. 
Every day, I pray that God would make me a warrior. And a good warrior always keeps an eye out on what the enemy is doing, even when there doesn't seem to be a battle going on at the moment. But believe me, brothers and sisters, this world is at war. Most of it's happening quietly, under the radar, so to speak, but some big things are coming. Big things are already happening. As Christians, we do ourselves, our family, and our faith very well to be aware, to be ready, to be willing, to be obedient, to answer God's call whenever, however it comes. But we can't ignore the flashing lights in society that are getting brighter as our world gets darker. I'm just trying to be realistic and trying to help us all be more aware of what's going on. Our neighbors to the north in Canada just passed a, a bill known innocuously as C4 that Canadian Christians feel actually criminalizes parents having certain conversations with their children about lifestyle choices. Can you imagine that? Getting thrown in jail for having a discussion with your teenager? Others believe that this law could cause pastors preaching out of the Bible or even having private conversations on certain subjects with consenting adults who come to them for counsel thrown in jail. Now, as I have filled in for Pastor Dave over the past years, you've heard me tell you again and again, things like this and worse were coming. Now it's right on our northern border. And by the way, this bill was not only passed unanimously, the legislators were dancing in the aisles and hugging and kissing and just, just beside themselves with celebration. And don't kid yourself into thinking these things won't be introduced here in the States in the very near future. Scripture tells us this world is fading away into sinful, rebellious behaviors. Back to 2 Timothy where we started, different verse, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So to me, it's crystal clear that generally speaking, it's not got to get better. Oh, English teachers are cringing everywhere with that one. But we, as humble children of God, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, must get better, must get stronger. We must practice in prayer and prepare, uh, and prepare that we can become more like our Savior Jesus every day. Now, don't misunderstand. Scripture is very clear that our salvation comes only through our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's a free gift. It can't be earned. Our faith in Him makes us love Him. And Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. But those good things we do, our works, our obedience, are not how we get into heaven. It's how we show the truth, 
the sincerity of our faith. So we must get better in obedience to his word and following his guidance. And us getting better as Christians is not the way to assure our salvation. It's simply a loving response to the incredible personal sacrifice Jesus offered to forgive our sins. As true followers of Christ, it should be part of our DNA to want to become more like him, to desire to learn his word through scripture, to spend time with other believers, to share our knowledge of Jesus with everyone we meet. And that doesn't mean we have to preach sermons. There are so many gentle and kind and loving ways to sprinkle our faith into our conversations that are not offensive to those who are so easily offended these days. No, this world is not getting better. But we as believers are not allowed to give up and say, ah, no worries, Jesus is coming to rapture us all out of this mess in the near future anyway, so what difference could I make? Nowhere in Scripture are we taught anything like that. We are to get better by becoming more like our Lord and Savior, by being good stewards of this world, by caring about our environment, by caring about others, by putting them first and thinking their well-being is more important than our own, by humbling ourselves, by doing the dirty jobs that nobody else wants to do, just as Jesus demonstrated by washing the filthy feet of his disciples after they'd walked through the mud and the excrement that was in the streets in those days. This getting better is something we can help each other learn. And it's something that we each individually need to sincerely yearn. We have to want it. We have to work for it. We have to pray for it. Please join me in prayer again. Lord, help me to be more like you today than I was yesterday. I know I still fall so far short of your standards. And Lord, I worry and I fret and so often I forget that you are in charge. Show me how to be more like you. Open my eyes and my ears to opportunities to teach, to reach, to care and share with those who need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Time looks like it could be short and I don't want to waste a moment of whatever time I have left in this world. Amen. You know, we can no longer look out for ourselves and those in our household. We must realize that we are and will increasingly be targeted. We're going to be carefully watched and analyzed for everything we do and say and everything we don't do and say. But Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, and then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run my race in vain and that my work was not useless. <sighs> I get so busted by the scripture. I do my best to stay positive and keep a good attitude, but I catch myself complaining about situations, criticizing others way too often. And Paul reminds us each to live a life that emits a bright light whose source is Jesus. This scripture reminds me that my ongoing whining keeps my light from shining. And a life closely connected to Jesus should exude a calm, peaceful persona that trusts in our Lord to guide and provide. Yes, this world is dark 
and getting darker and I can be swept away by the negativity and angry at the horrible things that we can see. Or I can calm down and look around and ask, God, where can you use me? Even in the darkest of night, a teeny tiny light shines bright and those seeking a way out of their darkness are naturally attracted to Jesus' light in us. When we know and understand God's word, it gives us an anchor to hold on to regardless of what our personal circumstances are going through. Run your best race through this life all the way to the finish line. Trust that no good work in the name of Jesus is ever wasted or useless. For those of you who have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, a great and mighty work has begun. Now, I have personally witnessed amazing, powerful, positive transformations within so many of you and your lives, both in the way you live it and in the way that you serve others in the name of Jesus. You know, we don't get to choose how life unfolds. We just get to live it. So the question becomes, who do you trust? And Psalm 91.4 says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge and my place of safety. He is my God and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with His feather, shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. As humans, we tend to put our trust in the standard things like money we make from our hard work, the health we try to maintain through our careful habits, our government's direction guided by those we vote for and elect. And this fits our nature because we feel a sense of control over these areas. And through our personal actions, we can have quite a bit of input. And there's absolutely nothing wrong at all with making a good effort into any or all of those efforts. Scripture encourages us to work hard to save, to eat and live healthy, to pray for good leaders. Yet, actually putting your trust in any of those things is a foolish mistake. Scripture makes it clear we are to trust only in the Lord. He alone is our safe place from deadly diseases, from evil people intent on harm. To those with us who don't know God, our faith in Jesus might seem soft and fluffy like the wings of the mother hen over her chicks that was just mentioned. But for those who trust in the promises of Jesus as Lord and Savior, His cover of love over us is like an impenetrable shield of armor. Now, this doesn't mean we won't ever get hurt or die. It's God's eternal promise that regardless of who or what is attacking, he will cover us with his supernatural love and comfort, no matter what. A couple of quick notes in review. I'm calling them faith hacks from Philippians. Truly love your Christian brothers and sisters. Tell them, show them, pray for them. Know and remember what truly matters. Live a fruit filled life that brings glory to Jesus. Anticipate trouble because it's coming. Use your negative circumstances to speak boldly with a positive message of God's love and confidence. Refuse to be pulled into battles of ego or pride. Believe in the power of Christian prayer to change this world. Nourish your soul by nourishing others. 
Never be ashamed or embarrassed of your faith. Speak up to others about Jesus in truth and in love. Live actively in this world, never forgetting you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. Humble yourselves to serve God's children. Don't complain, criticize, or argue. Live clean, innocent lives that shine bright in this dark world. Hold on to your rock tightly and firmly. If you are here or joining us online and have never accepted Jesus and Lord as Savior, there is never a better time than right now. Is there anyone in this room today bold enough to raise your hand to signify that you're ready to take that step, to answer the knock on your door that you've felt in your head and your heart over these past days? Just raise your hand up and hold it up for a second. Congratulations. Thank you. Come see me right after service. I want to talk to you for just a few moments and hope you'll make your way up here so we can pray and start you on this wonderful new path. To those who are already believers but have doubts, worries, fears, anger, frustration, sound like any of us? Don't give up. Do not give in. Doing that is the only way that Satan can win. God is not done with you yet. And as a reminder, we go back to one of the very first sentences we read at the beginning of Philippians to start this morning's message. 1-6, where Paul writes, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Be encouraged. God has a plan you don't yet understand. Jeremiah 29 11 is one of my all-time favorite scriptures. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for a future and a help, not death and destruction. And in those days when you search honestly for me, you will find me. When you pray sincerely to me, I will listen to you and I will set you free from your captivity. We love you all so much and we're so encouraged by you and pray that you are encouraged by us. But the most important thing is to open up our hearts and our minds to the power of the Holy Spirit and the acceptance of the plans that Jesus has coming for us in the near future regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how unpleasant they may seem. God will work his good in you. Final prayer, please. Great and mighty God, thank you for your presence in this room today. For those online, for those who have contributed to this ministry so that we may continue. Thank you for those who serve. Lord, we lift up those who are hurting, who are afraid, who are ill. Father God, it's so easy to be incredibly frightened. And so many have given up hope. But Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength to be bright and shining lights in this world of darkness. But remind us that can only happen if we continue to be plugged into you every minute of every day. And it is in your holy name, Jesus, that we pray.
This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.